how exciting to be woven into the stories of people who live so far away, and yet we get to partner together in the good news of the love of Jesus Christ being spread around the world. Uh, good morning. My name is Chandra Stiles. I serve here as the youth and young adults pastor, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning on our second Sunday of Advent about love, what it looks like to know love in eternity that changes our lives right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we, as we come into this space this morning with everything we bring, I just pray that we can pause, have a moment to just feel you near us, and that your presence would be with us, and that we'd be hearing your voice. As we read your word and we focus on who you are, your character, Lord, would we come into deeper relationship with you, and would we continue to hear your invitation to us to love you and the world around us in deeper ways. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this is a question that I'm going to throw out there to you that I feel like gets talked about often in circles that I'm in, young adult circles or youth circles or, you know, with young married couples. The question is this, what is your love language? What I mean by this, if you've never heard of what a love language is, your love language is the means by which you feel most loved and cared for. An action that you that communicates to you that someone holds and operates in love towards you. There's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, and he defines the five love languages as these. Quality time, physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, and the giving of gifts. Now, as you hear that list, maybe right away you know which one is yours. You know, automatically like, oh, I love to get a note that just says kind words. Or I really love it when someone just watches a movie with me or goes out for coffee. Or when someone gives me a gift that I'm not expecting. Realistically, everyone is different. And the beauty of the five different love languages is that we don't all speak the same one. That we have to learn each other's love languages and learn to express love differently to one another. My love language or my highest love language is acts of service. When people do things for me or with me that maybe help life be a little bit easier. An example of this was last Christmas. Um, I was busy getting ready for the Christmas season, as I know many of you are right now. And everything felt just last minute and rushed for me. And as I was getting prepped with food and, and presents, I had an accident. I fell down the stairs. Um, and found out that I had what was later to be known as a hairline fracture in one of my ribs. So I was in pain, and I was struggling to get all these things done, and I was just feeling frustrated, and I expressed this to some of my friends. And then all of a sudden, I get a text from my friends, Mitch and Brooke, and they said, hey, let us get your groceries for you for your Christmas supper. We can go out. We're going to go to Costco. Just give us the list. We'll get all your food. Bring them to your house. We'll unload them so you don't have to go up and down the stairs and... Just let us do this one thing for you. And in the moment, knowing how busy they were getting ready for Christmas, I wanted to deny them that offer. But then I stopped and just felt their love so deeply in that moment and knew that it was my position to just receive it gratefully. And so I did. I was in need of help and love, and they showed that to me. And it affected me greatly in that moment. You know, there's often a common debate is love primarily defined as a noun or a verb? Um, a noun being like a thing, something we feel or something we think, and a verb meaning something we do, 
something that's actually lived out or expressed. Now, maybe of those of you who are 90s babies and grew up in the 90s listening to Christian music, automatically have that song by DC Talk, Love is a Verb, in your head. At least one of you do. I believe it. Um, but I remember when I came into following Jesus in 1996 that that was a song that was like hype and popular. And I remember like thinking like, yeah, love is this action. We have to do it. We have to do the things that express love. But as I looked through the definitions and dictionaries this week, I found that there were actually more definitions for the noun of love than the verb. And this actually surprised me. Because I thought, isn't love more powerful as an action? It can't just be this feeling or this thought that that's enough. Doesn't it have to be both? But there was one definition that resonated with me. They felt kind of merged the, the thing and the action together. Love is an unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. The concern in and of itself is beautiful. This desire, this unselfish, loyal desire to give of yourself so that another can experience goodness. But it's a feeling that must then be birthed into action. A posture deeply held to see all people flourish and then actions that make that happen. It's active love. An active love changes our lives. Love that is lived out in actions of kindness, hope, healing, reparation, reconciliation, liberation, and freedom changes the circumstances, the systems, and the lives around us. And Jesus came to love in this way. To not just have God's children know that God loves them, but to have that love acted out through Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus is all five love languages expressed in his incarnation, which means his coming into physicalness as a human and inhabiting the earth alongside of us, living out love. And this is what we remember at Christmas. Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. There is a prayer from Father Gabriel, who's a spiritual director, that we'll reflect on this morning. It says, he came with love to Bethlehem. He comes with grace to our souls. And he will come with justice at the end of the world. This is God's love past, present, and future. Jesus came in love, continues to pour out his love now, and promises that his act of love will come to completion in the end of all things. And we can know that the eternal love of Jesus was is and will continue to be an active love that changes our lives. So let's break this prayer down a little bit and look at how Jesus first came to the earth through love. The prayer says, he came with love to Bethlehem. Through the power of God, Jesus could have showed up on earth in any form or way that he wanted to. He could have showed up as an adult or a powerful figure with authority and great influence. He could have been positioned in any place that would have made his message and his privilege just easily known amongst people. And that that was not God's choice in how he incarnated here on earth. God modeled to us a slow faithful, obedient process of life through having Jesus come in physicalness as a baby, born to an unwed teenage mother in a place that was not her home. 
without any of her people around her. Not earthly or human power, just full human life and experience. Luke 2, 1 to 7 is a, a short passage that just gives us a glimpse into the picture of the way Jesus came onto the scene here on earth. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. Because Joseph, Mary's partner, was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So there it is, a few short sentences that wrap up the entirety of a young mother's first birthing process. For those of you who are mothers who have birthed babies in the room, I'm sure you could sum it up, right? One sentence, pretty easy. I don't think so. <laughs> that process was long, painful, scary, overwhelming, probably at times defeating, but also elating and amazing and this moment of joy and bliss. You know, sometimes we don't stop and consider all the details that go along with the moments of Jesus' birth. We can see the nativity scene or the, the pictures of a perfect baby Jesus in a perfect little manger with a star up above. We forget to stop and think of how love showed up in the process of Jesus' birth. This Advent season, I've been um, reading through a devotional-type book called Honest Advent. It's by an artist and a writer named Scott Erickson who comes out of the States on Instagram. He's called Scott the Painter. Um, and it's a, a look at the coming of Jesus through the human experience of his coming through Mary. It's partnered, each day it's partnered with these beautiful images that just give us a glimpse into what the human walking out of Jesus' coming looked like. And on the front of the book and up on the screen, you'll see a picture of Mary pregnant and alone. And this is a picture that um, just kind of is shrouded in questions. Here she is, just touching her belly, knowing the life that's inside of her. And it makes us wonder, what is she thinking about? What is she holding in her heart? How is love deeply growing in her for this child that is hers, yet she knows she cannot hold on to? What does it feel like to prepare to bring love into the world that she would ultimately have to just let go of? And what does she know of the road that's ahead of her? She's anticipating the birth of this child and has no idea the journey she will walk. And yet she continues to say yes and prepare for his coming. Scott Erickson in his book writes this. What we see through the details of the birthing process is that the Christ story is actually about a God who brings salvation into the world through all of those messy details. It's not this perfect picture that we see on Christmas cards. It's the human experience of, of pain, of suffering, of beauty, and of joy all wrapped into one as we look at the birth of Jesus. And in all of this, we can see that through Jesus' birth, we know that a love that is in eternity, an eternal love, is a love that shows up. 
We use this word at Christmas, incarnation. Another word that we can use is embodied, which basically means that like it is something that comes into reality, and in this case, through a human body, a human form. Jesus is actually present with human people as Emmanuel, God with us. He shows up in the human process. Jesus comes in a human body that is helpless, completely reliant on the showing up of his parents. Jesus comes in a body that needs to be shaped and formed. He had to have parents around him to guide and grow him, to teach him to walk, to talk, to eat. Jesus comes in a body that's dependent on another body, to be born and to be fed. Jesus comes in a body that shares spaces with other bodies. As he grows, he grows up to be one who speaks with, who touches, who feeds, who confronts, who consoles. Jesus comes in a body that will die. He will experience the end of physical life as we do. And Jesus comes in a body that will rise again. And he will just continue to show up through resurrection life. God shows us how he indwells humanity and how powerful his presence can be. That eternal love is showing up in the human experience for human bodies, but in an eternal way. So that we as his children can know that he lived life as us in solidarity, but yet his divinity conquered the sin that separates us from God so he can dwell within us. That he can be loved within us. That we can know that we are children who are seen and known and loved by God. That we can know that our identity is one that is marked by the human experience of God in human form here on earth. Love continues to show up in the story of Jesus all throughout scripture. And one thing that we see that Jesus embodies, which I think that he first received from the example of his mother Mary, is that love also labors. Eternal love continues to show up, not just by being present, but by being active, by joining in and doing the work of love, the response of love. Mary brings Jesus into the world through labor, a labor of love. And not just the labor of birth, but the labor of motherhood, of service, of loyalty, of showing up day after day to shape and form and mold and serve. Faithfulness in the mundane moments of life that accumulate to the upbringing of our Savior. Mary feels every emotion that a mother could feel. Pain and sorrow as she watches the hard things he walks through. Joy as she celebrates the good things. And eventually having to watch her son die on a cross. Love actively labors in bringing forth new life. Mary did this for Jesus. And then Jesus continues to model this throughout his life. Not only does he show up to be present, but he is active in the expression of what his love is, is meant to be. He not only deeply feels, but then he lives out the actions of love, which is for healing, hope, and freedom to the people he interacts with. Eternal love actively shows up and deeply feels for us and in us for another. We can experience the presence of God and his love for us, and we can be conduits of that experience to others around us through the power of Jesus. The next part of this prayer says that Jesus comes in love with grace to our souls. This is where Jesus' Jesus's human experience and his divinity combine together. 
a divine holy God in human form whose lived life models grace and his human death shows grace in the form of solidarity and whose divine resurrection then dispenses that grace to each who would believe in him. Internally, grace, as followers of Jesus, grace is received as freedom from sin. If sin is the brokenness that we experience between us and God, where our union is is broken and, and disordered, then grace is the reordering and the reunion with God, restoration. And inside our souls, we experience this when we decide to follow Jesus and we receive that grace. But externally, that grace must be lived out. Because grace is not meant to just be kept inside, but instead to overflow from us onto those around us. To live out the identity as being a grace giver to all of those who are around us. If God's grace is saving to us, then God's grace should pour out of us as something that saves other people. God's grace is the gospel. The gospel means the good news, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provide an invitation into forgiveness and freedom, both here and now on earth and for eternity. And so that means love is grace that is good news. And that is good news for us as individuals. For each of us personally, it means that we have the invitation to know God's love through his grace, to receive it freely, freely and to live experiencing his love. To have his love be the truth that is spoken over us and his love be the identity that we live out in the world around us. Colossians 1, 19-22 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, and now, and yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Through, through Jesus, we see God in his fullness. We experience a God who is constantly working to reconnect what has been separated and to reinstate what has been displaced. So if you are hearing this, and you're not sure if you have ever experienced God in this way, I want you to know that this invitation is for you. This is good news for you. You are not outside of his reach, and he invites you. If you want to know how to respond to that, you can contact one of our staff members, or maybe a person that you know who follows Jesus. They can help you understand how that reality can be lived out in your life. May we want you to hear that this is Jesus' love showing up for you. May you know the freedom of God's grace poured out for you. But love can't just be good news for us individually. It has to be good news for us collectively. Love is good news for all. Just as Jesus was our divine God showing up in a physical body, his good news also needs to show up in this way. It is not just for our souls, the spiritual part of our being. His good news is for our lives, our bodies, our lived experiences too. For people who live and move and have their being here on earth now. Eternal love in the form of good news should be lived out or incarnated good news for all people today. Ephesians 3, 6 says, and this is God's plan. 
Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. This means that the eternal good news of Jesus, the restorative nature of his love, should not just be experienced when we leave these earthly bodies. This is good news for these bodies right here and now. You know, the Jews in this passage were God's chosen people. And they were people who knew that. They knew that God's love was for them and they wanted God's grace to be for them. And they looked at the Gentiles and they, they considered the Gentiles to be outsiders. They were outside of their ethnic divisions or their borders, outside of their cultural practices, and outside of their spiritual family. To the Jews, the Gentiles were not and could not also be God's children. And so because of this, their souls and their bodies were looked at differently. The Jews did not see them or treat them as they would treat their own people. They were less than, discriminated against, and dehumanized. The Jews were in us, and the Gentiles were in them. Through this lens, the love of God was not good news to the Gentiles. But Jesus, Jesus' life modeled that that was not true. And his death and resurrection became a doorway for God's plan for the good news to be good news for all. For both physical bodies and souls, for both eternity for right now, for both Jews and Gentiles. When we receive the good news for ourselves, we must realize it's an act of love that changes our lives on earth and for eternity. Then we must realize that we become a part of the way that that good news can be good news for all. And this means asking, how is the good news that I know good news to the oppressed, to the marginalized, to the victim, to the other? This means asking ourselves, how am I showing up in love as the good news of Jesus in the systems I participate in, the money I spend, the laws I uphold, the words that I speak, the ideologies I hold, the way that I hear a new piece of information and shape what I know and how I live. This is the eternal love that is the good news for all. Author and activist Shane Claiborne writes very boldly, when someone asks us if we are Christians, I think the best answer is to tell them to ask the poor the incarcerated, the immigrants and refugees, the widows and the orphans, the least of these, they will tell you who the Christians are. Though these words hold significant weight, I pray that they are a hopeful invitation into incarnated good news that we get to live every day. May we be carried by the good news of Jesus' grace into all the corners of the earth. May it permeate our thoughts and our words and our actions so that all of those who are on the outside may know the good news shows up for them and can change their lives as well. The last part of this prayer says that Jesus comes in love with justice in all things. Now we know that we are living in Jesus' kingdom that's often referred to as the now and the not yet kingdom. The kingdom we experience now but we'll experience fully at the end of all things. Through the spirit of God we're able to live out God's good news now. But we also wait in hope to experience the fullness of God's love through life and eternity. Once we have ended this physical life and Jesus comes back to bring life that is truly life to all people. A day when all of the brokenness of sin and oppression is washed away and we're truly liberated. A day when love makes all things new. A reference from Revelation, which Don 
talked a lot about Revelation last week. It's this beautiful picture of being restored to the beginning of creation, the Garden of Eden, when God first created all good things in harmony with himself and one another. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 15 says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being, sorry, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent, which means to turn away from the things that are not of God and to turn towards God. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. And on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in all the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Now, a passage like this could have me distracted in all of, like, the flames and the terrible noises and all of the imagery that comes along with us. And there's a lot of theological perspective on what exactly that imagery means or how it's expressed. But I don't want it to distract us from the essence of this passage, which is that Jesus wants to return to make all things in right standing with him again. Righteousness, right standing with God right standing with one another, complete union, fullness, liberation, glory. One day we will live with Jesus in that way for all of eternity, returning to that perfect harmony with God and with one another. But it says until that day, it says while you are waiting for these things to happen, let's live out in eternal love. We strive to live at peace with one another, having pure hearts and blameless actions, living out the good news of Jesus to the bodies that surround us. As we conclude, I want to show you one more picture from Scott Erickson, or Scott the Painter. That's a part of this Honest Advent book. This is a picture of Eve and of Mary. This picture was first, um, was first made by Sister Mary Remington, but this is a cover, a redone cover of Scott Erickson. It's kind of this theoretical picture of Eve and Mary together. Eve, who was the first mother of humankind, Eve who was there at the birth of sin and brokenness, sharing a moment with Mary, the mother of Jesus. This moment of solidarity amidst their different parts of the human story, both bearing significant influence on what we experience in our stories, both sharing the knowledge of mothering in a way that will affect all of humankind, and both harboring hope for something beyond what this world can offer to them. Erickson reflects on this image and says, here Eve is experiencing hope and grace from the brokenness that she thought would never end. And Mary takes Eve's hand and places it on her belly to let her feel the restoring hope of Jesus in her womb. Mary contains within her Jesus, God in a human body, not knowing the full extent of what will happen in his life and his death and his resurrection, not knowing that the little baby that she will bear and the child that she will shape will grow into a man whose life shapes the lives of others, whose spirit 
and resurrection brings grace and freedom from sin to all who embrace it and whose coming again will bring the coming back together into wholeness of all things that are broken for all of eternity. May we live in the joyful tension of the embodiment of this picture, knowing the brokenness of sin and pain that surround us, but also knowing the power of the eternal love that dwells within us through the presence of Jesus Christ. While we slow down and pay attention to God at work in this Advent season, how is the Spirit of God prompting you to live in an eternal love? Is there a place where you can show up in an embodied eternal love this season, a person or a circumstance that you can live out that hope with? Are there specific needs or situations where you know that you could receive that love from others? Are there specific situations where your actions or your words could bring the freedom, the hope, and the healing that Jesus' life brought to us? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for love and eternity, love that came at your birth, love that was lived in your life and is lived through your spirit within us now, and love that will make all things new at the end of, of all time. Jesus, we just ask that you would remind us, God, of the power of your love, both for our souls and for our physical bodies, for the people around us and their lived experiences. God, would you help us to see with your eyes and to hear with your ears, to feel with your hearts this Christmas season. And if there are any specific people or circumstances or situations that, Holy Spirit, you're just like stirring within us to be attentive to and to respond to you, I pray that you would lead us in how we would respond with actions of healing and hope and restoration. God, would we invite others to join in with us in those actions, and would they be an incarnated example of your eternal love? As we worship you now, Jesus, I just pray you would speak to us. God, that you would speak your love over us, and you'd fill us with your love to overflow to the world around us. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.